You got your Bibles? Uh, God write, wrote his word to us. And it's kind of interesting because as we look even today, that he gives us his word. We weren't a part of this story that we're looking at today in Daniel. Uh, we weren't a part of this. We, none of you are that old that you were there. Um, we weren't a part of this story. And uh, when you look at the word of God, this book right here, when you look, not, not the index and stuff like that, but the actual words that were written, you got to ask the question, a couple of things I, I want you to think about. First of all, that it's the word of God. It's God's word. It's God's message. How many of you have read something ridiculous this week? Are you? Yeah. And you, you said to yourself, I don't care about that. Those people are stupid. I'm not listening to that. Ha! You know, in fact, so most of us, as we read it, then we went and told somebody else that we'd read it like confessing her sins or something like that. I read something stupid this week. You want to know about it? Um, this is the word of God. This is the word of God. It's his word. It's his, he, he made sure as men wrote this down that this message was recorded, preserved, and perfect. And so it's the word of God. It's, it's a message to us. And so as you think of all the messages that you've heard this week, all the things that you've read, all the even, you know, TV programs or internet clips or whatever, whatever you, inputs you've had, none of them compared to this. None of them. Not even close. And so this stands above all, above all, far above all. Um. But, but as we read this this morning, or as we look at this this morning, I want to remind you of something. Uh, why did he write it? Why did he write it? Um, we assume Daniel wrote this. He was there, and he was inspired to write all this and, and lay this down be, because God wanted him to. But we're thousands of years after this. Why are we here this morning looking at Daniel chapter 3? Why did God preserve Daniel chapter 3 for us here this morning? It's not to make you smarter. I, and and I, want, I want you to get this. Uh, this is not just an educational book. I, I think sometimes we you know, think there's going to be a Bible trivial pursuit and that we're going to win. And we're going to be really smart. And we're going to get all those little pie-shaped pieces. And everyone's going to go, boy, you're really smart about the Bible. Um, I, I want to encourage you. The Bible is not just so you can get the details. The Bible is to transform our lives. Transform us. And so as we look at it this morning, don't just look at it as an old book. Uh, don't even look at it as a great story. This is a great story, by the way, today. I mean, it is one of the greatest. Great story. But why is this great historical story recorded for us? There were other great things that have gone on and uh, you know, God was a part of. Why this one? And why for us? And why for us today? And why for us this week? And how can we be changed by it? This morning, we're in the book of Daniel. And I've been thinking about, obviously, I've been thinking about the book of Daniel because I've been studying it and 
And uh, Daniel is really known for the stories. Uh, Though, you know, the really Daniel and the lion's den is probably the greatest one. But then secondly, the one that we're going to look at today of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, But also just these stories, why are those recorded in there? And then the other piece to Daniel, what is the other piece is prophecy, prophecy. And, And I would just say it this way, what is to come? What is to come? How's this going to end? How's this going to end? And I want to put something together for you that it just kind of dawned on me even this week that, that Daniel is a book of two things, two things. How it's going to end and how we should live until it ends. Until it ends. And right now, uh, you are all with me. Uh, we are living in a time that's not the end. It might be tomorrow. It might be this afternoon. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. We don't know when the end is going to be. We, we will be able to see some of the things that will happen as the end, and we know about the end. But right now, today, he's going to give us how we live until the end. And so if you'd open up to Daniel chapter 3, that's where we're going to be uh, living for the next couple hours. No, not a couple hours. He gives us the practical and the prophecy. This morning, let me just pray for our time. I'm not going to have you stand because we're going to look at the whole chapter. Not that they didn't do that in the book of Nehemiah. Stood a long time while the scripture was read. Uh, But we're going to hopefully get through the whole chapter. And I'll read it as we go. And uh, hopefully that will be helpful for us. God, thank you for this time that we get to open up your word. Thank you for caring about us so much that you allowed us to have your word in such a time as this where we all have it. Uh, We have Bibles all around us. We have them in the pew. We have them in our laps. We have them on our phones and our tablets. We have them on our computers. We have them everywhere. And what a blessing, a riches that previous generations can't even couldn't even fathom that this would be true. And God, I uh, thank you for your word, giving it to us. Help us to cherish it and treasure it, not as common and not as uh, it's everywhere, but that it would be in us. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So let's look at this story. We'll just march right through it, and I'll make comment as we go. Uh, We see the idolatry's grand opening, the grand opening of the idol. Uh, We see King Nebuchadnezzar. We've heard his name before, have we not? Uh, And as as you, I want you to, if you've been here for a while, and if you haven't, you just know this, that King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem. He took these young men into captivity, at least initially, and others after. He took them into captivity. He's a conqueror. He was probably king of the world at that time. Uh, that he was most significant. And as he did this, uh, he's having run-ins with his people, these captives. He's trying to make them his very own, and they're not going along with it very well. Uh, In the first chapter, we see uh, in their captivity, the first thing uh, that Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they are really called to eat the king's food. 
And knowing that that would be an offense to God, either by the kind of food or it was sacrificed to idols and, you know, Babylonian gods, they said, no, let us, uh, let us not eat that food, but you can test us later. And they tested just fine. And they went through this education and they were head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to their training and their physical abilities. And so they were okay that God got honored in that. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar's way was not best. And then you go on uh, to see uh, in the chapter 2, and Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream, and he, uh, he wants somebody to interpret it. Actually, he wants someone to tell him the dream, so it shows how smart they are and that they have this amazing ability to tell the dream and the future, um, and no one could do it except for Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we end really the last chapter, one of the last parts of chapter 2, Uh, talking about Nebuchadnezzar saying how great the God of Daniel was, how great his God was. Now we open up chapter three and it's King Nebuchadnezzar again. So what's he doing? Uh, Let's look. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. Wait wait a minute. Isn't Nebuchadnezzar going to get it? Uh, he is uh, an erratic leader. He's saying one thing and then saying another. And, and by the way, that's how kind of we all are in some respects, right? Uh, we have these great convictions and we make great speeches. And then the next day we fall apart. The next day we compromise. The next day we're back to worshiping ourselves again. And so as we see Nebuchadnezzar, he has these great speeches and these aha moments of how great the God of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. And then it seems like it goes right back to, we don't know, uh, it doesn't say, and the very next day uh, in chapter 3, we don't have a time stamp. And as we look at the chronology of this, we see the young men in uh, chapter 2 and 1 and 2 being like 15 to 20. Probably they have graduated. So at the earliest, they could be these men that we're going to look at probably 20. But most likely, uh, they could be much older than that, 20 to possibly even 40 years old. Now we're including a few more of you in here, right? 20 seems like a long way, but 40 doesn't seem that, you know, right in there. Middle age, you know, 52 is not that far from 40, right? Um, This is the window of how old they are. And as you look at the history of what uh, is going on, we see them as maybe a little bit older. Nebuchadnezzar is uh, one of the original. He he was a great politician. He was a great flip-flopper, right? Um, and as he was making speeches, you caught different speeches on different days, different clips. And, uh, you know, he'd fit right in today. Um, he, he'd be right in there. Um, anyways, uh, what you see uh, is that Nebuchadnezzar, what is he doing? He's building a golden image, right? He's building a golden image. As we, you saw the last couple of weeks, we looked at uh, chapter 2, his dream, the, the one picture of his dream, if you remember, uh, there was a golden head on this image in his dream, and that was him. That was him. 
uh, in history, uh, God acknowledged by his own doing that he allowed, prospered even, Nebuchadnezzar to some degree, that he was thought of as a golden image. And now he goes, however many years later it is, he goes, golden image, that's a great idea. I'll build me one of them. It says that it was an image. We don't know if it was an animal or a person or a part of a person and a part of an animal put together. We don't know. Uh, But it was an image, and it was huge. It was huge. Uh, The speculation of, as we transfer over those sizes, probably 90 feet tall, uh, 9 feet wide. So picture that. You know, some of you have lived in Tatchby a long time, and you can't picture that, right? Uh, Most uh, ceilings, you know, you got a story is about 10 feet, 10 feet. So two stories would be, you guys are ready to build right now. You know, you're builders, 20. And, you know, you just, if you add those together, you got nine stories. And in Tatchby, we don't have too many buildings with nine stories. Praise God. It's a great place to live. They can have their sky rises anyplace else, right? Uh, so this is the picture. And, and as you think about that, this image was meant to be seen, right? Uh, I remember I got to travel in, in, in Russia and Ukraine in, in college. And um, when we were in Ukraine, in Kiev, uh, there's this huge statue and it's a woman with a sword in her hand. And I said, what is that? And that's Mother Russia. Mother Russia. And uh, they didn't really like Mother Russia that much, being in Ukraine. <laughs> but it was meant to be seen. It was meant to be seen. And it was meant to be seen from a long distance off. This is what this statue was meant to be seen from all. Um, like I said, well, there's no real time stamp. Um, you, you know... Uh, from the size of this, that this wasn't uh, a month-long project. It was probably much longer than that, both uh, getting the gold. It was probably gold-plated. It was solid gold. That would be something else. But um, it was probably gold-plated, and it took many, you know, they brought the cranes in and everything else uh, to uh, put this together. So we see King Nebuchadnezzar made the image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and breadth was six cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And we see that as most likely uh, just outside of Babylon, uh, just up a hill, there was a, uh, an area that I think it was southeast of Babylon that it would have set up there where all could see and all could um, go to, actually. Uh, it says in verse 2, and then uh, King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image of the, uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Meaning that all the important people were gathered. And it goes through this list. And, and I think it's kind of like to magnify and make it dramatic, this list, to say all the important people and really all the people were gathered for the dedication of this idol. 
And they were called to stand before the image. It was the dedication of the image. It was the, the uh, grand opening of idolatry. Idolatry had gone on far before this, but it was a new idol that was built. And then it says in verse 3, it says it again, then the satraps and the prefix and the governors and the counselors, and it keeps going on and on with this list over and over again. And it's meant to say all, all of them, all of them. And there were a lot of them, all of them, all of them. They were there. And as we look at this, we realize that Nebuchadnezzar was setting up all the people to do this thing. All of them were called to obey. They stood before the image. If you look down at verse 4, uh, it says this, and, and the herald proclaimed aloud. You know, this is how this is going to go. We're before the image. This is how this is going to work. And the herald said, proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O people's nations and, uh, o people's nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, the bagpipe, and and the cowbell and the kazoo and everything else that you can imagine, every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Okay, got it. That's how this is going to go. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Verse. Six, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning furnace, the the burning fiery furnace. Okay, got it. Uh, We do this or we die. This is how this works. This is, you know, the image is there from Nebuchadnezzar and there's a cost of disobeying this. If you don't fall down, you're going to go into the fiery furnace. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music, all the peoples and the nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All the instruments, all the people fall down and worship. They all do the same thing. All do the same thing. Are you getting it? And it's dramatic. It's meant to be dramatic. It's a speech. It's uh, a grand edict for the whole land to obey. And so these thousands of people had, had gathered, maybe up to tens of thousands of people had gathered. And the herald commands and he, he sets out, this is what's going to happen. You're going to bow when you hear the music from all the band, from all the orchestra. When you hear that music, all the people are going to bow to this one image. All the people are going to do the same thing. That's what's going to happen. And so we come to verse 8. We come to verse 8 and we, we get to uh, the Chaldean accusations and threat. And so we see in verse 8, uh, Therefore at the, that time certain Chaldeans uh, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Uh, I'll just stop there and just remind you 
that the Chaldeans were an ancient people who lived in that land that were part of, uh, it was sometimes synonymous with saying Babylonian, but there was a group that would be called the intelligent, educated, historic people. And some of them came to Nebuchadnezzar and said, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what's going on. Made accusation uh, to the Jew, about the Jews. Uh, verse, nine, verse 9, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. That's, that's a funny phrase. Uh, if you look at through the book of Daniel, uh, it's said over and over again. You see reoccurring things over and over. O king, live forever. By the way, it is also uh, torn limb from limb. We'll get to that one too. That's another favorite one. But O king, live forever. That's when you're wanting to butter up the king and acknowledge his greatness, okay? Uh, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the whole band, right? All the instruments, all those, every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Verse 11, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the uh, burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. A couple things. Uh, where's Daniel? Where's Daniel? He's not there. He's never mentioned in uh, He's not mentioned at all. In fact, the previous chapters, we have Daniel being primary and the friends being secondary. Daniel's not there. Uh, we don't know where he is. We don't know. Some have said, well, he must have bowed down. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he did. I don't think he did. Um, I think that he, it would have been recorded that he bowed down and it would have been shown God's grace or it, he would have been standing with the other three. That, that, that's what I think probably happened, you know. Uh, is that, and you say, well, where was he? Well, he was probably away, probably away. He was an important man in the kingdom, and maybe he was doing some business or something with a, a foreign city, or you don't know. Maybe he was visiting his mom. I don't know. Uh, but uh, it doesn't say where Daniel was, and so don't get lost in the weeds. Um, sometimes we like to argue about things that aren't spoken of in the Scripture. Remember, this is the Scripture, if God wanted you to know, he could have put another line in there for you, okay? He didn't want you to know, and he's God, so just let him be God, okay? And you, and you not be God, okay? That's a good thing, too, for everybody. Um, Daniel's friends are now apart from him. And, and I want to say this. Um, you know, this, this isn't really in there either, but there's four of them, and now there's just three of them, right? There's three of them. And... There's really a primary position that Daniel takes in those first couple of chapters, and now he's gone. And I want to tell you, this is kind of how this works, right? Uh, you gain courage from the testimony of others. Maybe Daniel was the spokesman in those prior uh, situations, and now he's gone. And they're like, well, you know, if Daniel could do it last time, we can do it this time. Uh, this is how this thing works. And this is why, by the way, there's meant to be fellowship. There's, there's power in us bumping up against one another. It's great for the college students to minister to the high school students and the high school students to minister to the middle school students. And for the middle, middle school stu 
school students to get out of middle school someday so they can be useful and, uh, and really get, you know, grow that brain and become that next generation. And I, I want you to get this, that this is why we need to be together. Uh, we need, you know, it's so interesting. We have parents that are trying to raise kids and it's not easy. And they go, oh no, I just don't know what to do. I'll Google it. Because I need some wisdom, I'll Google it. And maybe there's a tip or a trick uh, or, you know, silver bullet to parenting. And uh, you just got to uh, listen to your kids more. Maybe you should talk to a godly parent that's out of that phase. Maybe you should talk to, to someone who's walked through that. And is, maybe you should go generationally and ask questions. Maybe you should confess that you're failing miserably and say, I don't know what to do. You're saying that, but you're just saying that to yourself and then Googling it. That's not helpful. Um, what were we talking about? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's gone, okay? Daniel's gone. Um, what were we talking about? Here we go, here we go. We're going to get there. There's a test going on. Uh, Daniel's friends are apart from them. And I, I want to tell you, the test... <laughs> I don't want to say too much about government today, but you know what? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the government of the day. And you know what governments always want to do? What do they always want to do? Rule. That's probably a better word, but I wanted to say control. Get everybody in line. Um, I, I, I want to say, some of you are new to this, new to this, because you, you, I'm from America. We don't have to listen to anybody. <laughs> We can do our own thing. We're free because of the brave, you know. Uh, we're free. We can do whatever we want. We, you know, and uh, we the people. We the people. Uh, I want to tell you that every government, every human government slips into this. Some of them dive into it, but others slip into it, right? And, uh, and it's this whole idea of this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to wear, this is where you're going to be. This is how long you're going to be there. You're going to get in line. You're going to get in line. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, right? He's saying, there it is. There's the image. I built it. I'm going to tell you, you know what we're going to do. Hit it, band. Uh, hit the band plays. You're going to all bow down. There's something crazy about bowing down, right? There's something uh, uh, of... Uh, it shows, it shows humility to bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted everyone to know that he was going to say something, they were going to play because he made something and they were going to bow to it because he said so. And you can imagine possibly tens of thousands of people and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego we're just standing there. Yeah, there's one or two options. We don't get a whole lot of details. They were either there. I, I'd like to think they were there. I'd like to think they were there. And can you imagine the, the, the music plays and tens of 20, uh, who, who knows how many people. They, they bow down and they're all down. And there's these three going. And everyone's going, what are they doing? The fiery furnace thing. 
they're going to get barbecued like that. I don't like it either, but I'm going down. I, I, you know, you, you look at this, and, and, you, and you see these three. We don't know if there were more. I, I tend to think there probably were more, but these three, for whatever reason, stood out. And there's something about bowing, and you, you picture in your mind right now a, a 20 or 30 or 40-year-old three young men that are going, nah, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. And so the Chaldeans tell on them. They tell on them. And maybe they didn't want to bow either. Probably they didn't, because nobody likes to be controlled. Not by, you know, not by a king, not by a president, not by a party, not by a governor, not by a boss, not by a wife, not by anybody, right? You don't want like to be controlled. And so there's something about bowing, and, they, um, you know, and, and it tells us a little bit about where Nebuchadnezzar's at in all this. They heard about these certain Jews, um, and it says that the accusation in the middle of verse 12 was the accusation, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. So when somebody's trying to control you and you don't pay attention to them, how does that make them feel inside? They don't like it, right? Because their intent is to control you, and when you don't obey their control and they're not paying attention, boy, does that make a guy frustrated, uh, verse 13, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. Uh, so they were brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 14, answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Verse 15, now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well, well, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will be able to deliver you out of my hands? So, Nebuchadnezzar gets angry. Nebuchadnezzar brings the three before him and he reiterates the original command. And he says, well and good. Like, it's going to be fine. If you obey now, we'll forget about that thing that went on. We'll we'll act like that didn't happen. You were dense. I'll tell the the media that you were just a little confused at what, what time you were supposed to bow or something like that. You didn't get it, but now I've made it clear to you and it'll be all well and good. But if you don't, fiery furnace. And, and not just fiery furnace, but let me, let me ask you, let me ask you, fellas. Um, what God will be able to save you from the fiery furnace? And, and really, not, it's not about the furnace, it's about me. Who's going to save you from me? And, and, and this sets up, and this happens uh, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, uh, throughout our history, where men and women set themselves up as God, and they challenge you to say, you're either going to serve me or serve your God, and it's not going to go very well for you if you serve your own God, because I'm more powerful than your God. 
Well, how's your God going to save you from the furnace? How's your God going to save you from me? You know the price that is to be paid. I've made it clear to you twice, in fact. How are you going to be saved from the furnace? And you can imagine uh, Nebuchadnezzar, most of the time he gets his way. (laughs) And so as he uh, brings this rage to them, and, and we move on from Chaldean accusation and threat in verses 8 through 12, now to rebellion and refusal of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verses 13 through 18. In God's word, uh, and so furious with rage, we already read this, they brought them before them, and as they uh, set them up, uh, you, you need to know this, that this is going to be the same challenge for us. It's going to cost us to not do what uh, the, the tyrants, the kings, the controllers want us to do. It's going to cost us. And they're going to ask the question, are you going to obey me? Or are you going to do what your convictions, what your relationship with God is going to do? Verse 16, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, and I, I, I want to outline this real, real quickly as we go through it. There's just a few points that sh- how, they, how they dealt with this that I think is um, instructional for us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Uh, if, if this be so... If this be so, our God, whom uh, we, are, we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Three points. Three points that I think are very important. The first one doesn't seem that important. What did, he say first? what did they say first? They said, we don't need to answer you. Um, and what are they saying? Is, so he, dem- he asked a question. Have you ever ignored someone that asked a direct question? Boy, you know, uh, you get busted in our house for doing that, right? I asked you a question. You need to, and so what that is, that's an authority saying, I've asked you a question you need to answer. And what did they say? We don't need to answer. Ooh, that must have made him really mad. Why? Because he thought he was important. And they looked at him, the king of the known world at that time, and they said, we don't need to answer you. And, and, and I want to like set this up. Uh, it doesn't say this in the passage, but they said, we don't need to answer you, little K king. There, there's a ca- all caps king that I pay attention to. There's a king above you. That this isn't about you, king. You think you're king. I have another king that I listen to. So I don't have to answer you in regards to this. Remember, they were being threatened with their life, right? You're going to go on the fire. You're going to die. And they said, we don't have to answer you. That's number one. Remember this, the heat of persecution and the heat of being pressed and controlled. I don't have to answer you. You're not my authority. 
I have another king. That's number one. The second thing, he, they say, uh, we don't know who the spokesman is here, but maybe they all, one said it and then the rest said what he said, you know. Uh, but um, as they went through this, you, you see this. They were called to bow, but as they answered, the first thing they answered was, we don't have to answer. In verse 17, it says, if this be so, meaning that uh, you're going to blow the, you know, the band's going to play and we're going to have to bow. It, he says this, we're, we're not going to bow. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning a fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And what, it, what he's saying there, once again, he's saying, you're the king. You're the small K king, right? You're, you're the little guy. And our king, I want to tell you, can deliver us out of your hand. And I'm looking, you know, undoubtedly there were guards all around with big knives and, you know, spears and whatever else. And, and, and they were able to, you know, the king would snap and they would be dead. And they said, king, we want you to know our God is able to save us from you. Your hand is not strong enough to hold us because I serve my king. But th- the third part is my favorite. The third one is my favorite. So uh, to be able to say, God can save me from this mess. To know that God is, uh, uh, you don't have to answer. Secondly, that God's able to save. But then lastly, uh, the um, embracing of obedience at cost. He says this, uh, verse 18. But if not, meaning... If God does not save us from your hand, if the pain of your uh, strong hand comes about us, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Period. They might have said more. I don't think they did. I think they just said, yeah, uh, king, know this. We don't have to answer and our God's able to save us, but know this, even if he doesn't save us, we're not serving your God, and we're not bowing, and we're not being controlled by you, because that spot has already been taken. But even if, in the ESV, it says, uh, even though, or something like that, but in other translations, it says, but even if, and I think that's a great line for us, is to say this, and the, the pressures of life and the obedience and, you know, the pressures of pain coming to our life because we're obeying God for us to say, you, you know, um, God can do whatever he wants to do. He can protect me from you or anybody else or anything else. But even if he doesn't know this, I will obey him. I will obey him and not you. I, I'm not going to bow uh, to the golden image that you've set up. It's not going to happen. Those are three good steps for us to take in the midst of being pushed. And that was the core of their rebellion and refusal of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I want to say this. I purposely said rebellion and refusal. I, I want to tell you this, that um, I, we're struggling with this in the crazy world we live in right now. 
We love being Americans and we love the, the freedoms that we've enjoyed and now we're getting rules on us and how many should sit in church and what we should wear and when we can meet and this and that. And, uh, you know, um, I, I just want to tell you, get these things stuck in your mind that you might make good decisions for the future. Uh, help, teach them to our kids. Let's teach them. Doesn't matter what the cost, that we would still do what's right. Um, and even if it's the government, the, the government is in view here. I, w- I want to tell you that. And the, the gover- every government will struggle with this. They desire to control their people. And I, I want to tell you, it's great to be controlled when you're doing evil. But when you're going to church and trying to raise your family, trying to take care of people, trying to say, share the saving message for sinners, that's not evil. That's not evil. And so don't feel like you are being evil by continuing on to do those things. Let's move on before I get rolling. Um, we're down uh, verse 19. Verse 19. Furnace time in and out. Um, verse 19. I might go a little long today. Um, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled uh, with... With fury and expression on his face changed uh, against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, he, or, he lost it, is what it amounted to. He lost it. Uh, it wasn't just his voice that was loud. His, his face was loud, too. It was saying all kinds of things. Um, it was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually, usually heated. Uh, and he ordered some of the, the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound, uh, uh, were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats uh, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the uh, burning, fiery furnace. Verse 22, because of the king's order was urgent, meaning do it right now and get it done, they were recklessly going about things, and uh, was urgent, and the furnace was overheated. The flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, into, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. That's what happened. And you have the marking uh, of Daniel recounting this, but also um, a visual for all to see. They, they grab, you know, you, you, and you, and you guys, you tough guys, big guys, muscles, you've been working out at the gym, you come over here and really tie these guys up, make it hurt. And so they were, they were wrapped and there was no way to get away. And he was saying, get them in the furnace, get them in there. And so they're, they're scampering around and they go, you know, and, and in the process, they die because of the heat of the furnace. So they're laying there dead, or maybe consumed, partially consumed, laying there. And this is a visual, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the furnace. This is, this is, they are in. But as it goes on from this passage, um, he, he ordered them to be uh, thrown in there. They were bound. They had their uh, clothing on as they went, um, and this happened. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Man, that guy's on an emotional roller coaster. Uh, he was mad. He was angry. He was happy. He was all these things. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste 
And he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt and their appearance, the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. <laughs> Yikes. There's different reasons to be afraid, right? There's different reasons. And a king's usually never afraid unless he has a bad dream. Um, unless, of course, uh, something happens that he didn't put into play. Unless, of course, these ropes that bound these uh, ones that were going to die and he was killing them and he wanted to watch and all of a sudden the ropes are gone and the head count is higher, Right? One, two, you know, he's a public school kid. He could get to four, right? You know, and he's one, two, and he probably counted again. Now, wait a minute, just stop, stop moving. One, two, you know, four, four. Now, uh, I will not speculate with you. I just tell you quickly, some of you want to deep dive into this. There's nothing to look, you know, there's nothing to deep dive about, okay? I, I want to tell you this. Um, we are not told by God who the fourth person is. We are not. But I think it's one of two things, two people. It's either an angel, it's either an angel, or it's Jesus himself. Uh, the, the, the preferable position that we would like it to be, we'd like it to be Jesus. I'd like it to be Jesus. That sounds great, right? You're in, the, you're in a mess, you're in a mess, and Jesus shows up. And, and he is with you. And that, that is truth from the New Testament. We know that there, you know, through the presence of the Holy Spirit that he's with us. He's with us. But it doesn't say. In fact, it says, son, <laughs> as they looked at it, Nebuchadnezzar again talking. Can you trust Nebuchadnezzar when he starts talking? <laughs> no. He's not a great theologian. I, I think all he was saying was something crazy is going on here. And I'm looking at the, the fourth one. I know those three guys, but the fourth one, he, he looks different. He looks sons of the gods. It, is, it was a term that they would say uh, a son of deity. And the Babylonians had gods. Nebuchadnezzar at times thought he was God. You, you know that they were, uh, they were spiritual people. They were just wrong about it. And so Nebuchadnezzar's identification was unclear and unconvincing. But definitely, um, remember we talked about angels, I think, in a couple weeks prior, the idea that angel is a messenger. And when angels show up, it's just a messenger of God doing his bidding uh, in a particular case, which would fit in this case. So we see four men, and the fourth, like uh, uh, the son of the gods. He's, he says this before, he, he's going to use it a few different times, uh, if you think back to chapter 2, uh, one of the things that they, Daniel as well as the, the mighty men, the, the smart guys, said about his dream, he says, nobody can do that unless they're, they're gods, they're, they're sent by God. Only the gods can do that. Um, and so there's this idea that continues on. So anyways, there's a fourth there, but the fourth one, uh, the position, whether it be Jesus or an angel, is to deliver, deliver those out of the fiery furnace. And so I just want to tell you, uh, remember what, what they said. 
It was the second answer that got him, right? We don't have to answer you. But our God is able to deliver us out of your hand. That's what was happening. God was delivering them out of his hand. They had done something wrong in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar, but right in the eyes of God, and God delivered them. That doesn't always happen. Know this, it doesn't always happen. Uh, In the New Testament, you have Stephen, and uh, Stephen uh, spoke the word of God at an inopportune time. He was a great preacher for a moment, and they stoned him, and he died. What a great way to die, going out in obedience to God. And so you have this delivering. There's times where he'll deliver you, but there's also times where you'll pay the price, even in the price of death, and that's good too. Um, so we look at the, the furnace in and out, um, and then it comes to verse 27, uh, after the furnace review and a new law, okay? And that's verse 27 through 30. Uh, I know that um, we're moving fast here, but sorry, there's just a lot going on. Um, well, I have verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came uh, near the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, this is so funny, I can picture his voice cracking during this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here, I'm kind of king, but you know, it didn't work out that well when I was before king, and I told you some things, um, that thing that I, you were going to do. Um, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Verse 27, uh, and the satraps, the prefix, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The, the hair of their heads was not singed, Their cloaks were not harmed, and there was no smell of fire had come upon them. What a picture, you know. Now they were inspected, if you will. They were inspected, and and as they looked at them, they realized the fire had no effect on them. Number two, right? Um, God was able to deliver them. Not not just able, but he was willing, and he did. Um, And so uh, we see... uh, um, you know, let's just keep reading. So, um, verse 28, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be, yeah, yeah, let's start with it. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, now he says an angel, but this is uh, his picture, he's some, uh, some other person, and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command the, the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather to, than to serve and worship any god except their own god what a what an amazing perception from nebuchadnezzar that he knew what had gone on he tried to control them he tried to be god and and what did he say he said they trusted in him and they set aside king, the kings, me, Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of the world. They set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. May that be true of us. 
And so then he makes a decree or a law or whatever he calls it. Verse 29, therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb again. And their houses be laid in ruins because that's what I do. Uh, For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I find that funny. I find that interesting. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to do this a little bit more, but like we're only getting one more chapter of him, and then we go to his son who has his own problems. But uh, I, I want you to get this, that Nebuchadnezzar, it was undeniable for him. He saw that uh, his rule on earth and the rule of his gods that he kind of trusted in and his golden image was nothing. It was nothing. And he realized that there was no other God like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. There's no other God. And so um, he wanted to tell people, and then he gave them a promotion. Three quick things, three quick things as we close. And I know I've gone over time, but there was a couple weeks ago that I went shorter, so it's a bank account, you know. Uh, Remember this, remember this. It's not about the food, it's not about the idols, and it's not about the prayers, okay? We're gonna get to the prayers, but, but know this, that when it comes to your food, idols, prayers, Remember God in all those things. When it comes to the internet, remember God. When it comes to your job, your house, your popularity, your boss, like, like these pressure points, don't get lost in them. But remember God. Secondly, I'd say this. When it comes to God, it should be a blank check. A blank check. I will pay Whatever. I will pay all that I have. I will pay this. Oh, that won't do? What about this? It's a blank check. It's a dangerous thing when we ask the question, how much is it going to cost before we've decided what we should do? Think about that. First question is always, what does God want me to do in this situation? And then the second question is, how much is it going to cost? Not the other way around. If you decide how much it's going to cost, you go, eh, maybe that's too much for me. Maybe I don't want to pay that. Maybe I don't want to go hungry. Maybe I don't want to lose my job. Maybe I don't want to be made fun of. Maybe I don't want to be the only one standing. Maybe I don't want to have my health compromised. Maybe I don't want to get beaten. Maybe I don't want to die. If you decide on the cost first, it makes a secondary issue what God wants you to do. I just want to encourage you. Figure out what God wants you to do and then figure out how, much you're, how it's going to be paid for. He's going to provide as he did in this story. Lastly, I just want to encourage you. Know that, well, back up. Let me, let me say this one thing. Uh, the blank check thing, in, in the New Testament it says this. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, it says this. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God in your body. 
You've been bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. In that context, it's sexual sin. In that context, it's sexual sin. But that same principle applies to everything. God owns you. And you should be excited about that. You should be excited about that. He bought you with a price. He overpaid for you. He bought you with a price. So now our role is to honor God with our body. Honor him with the days that he's given us. Okay, number three. We're going to end with this. Know that he is there. Know that he is there. Back to the the bowing down. And remember, I told you, I, I like to picture them standing out in the middle and everyone going down and everyone going I'm just standing looking around as tens of thousands of people bowed down and they're standing there and everyone's going, what are they doing? Have you ever stood out like that for anything? It doesn't mean that like, we don't like it at all, right? Um, we, we don't like it in class. Remember when you used to go to school, some of you? Um, and uh, the teacher would have you say, well, I want you to stand and read your essay in front of the whole class. And you're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want everyone looking at me. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to do it. Because it, it, it causes you to feel exposed and alone. We, we like it when there's a lot of people around us. Everyone's doing the same thing. And I just want to tell you, I, I want to remind you that you would know that he is there with you. Loneliness is a part of this game. Doing something different is a part of this game. It is a part of living life that we would be different. And not just weird. Some of us get confused sometimes. Christians are supposed to be different. You mean like weird? Yeah, I love being weird. No, it's not being weird. It is being holy. It's following God. It's that he has a different way, not that we have a different way. But to know that even if we have to stand alone, he is there with us. The, the three were joined with another in the furnace. It was either Jesus or an angel sent by him, right? And he says, I, I want to be there with you. I want to be there with you. And presence of the Holy Spirit is with us all the time as God's people. And it's the, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And, and after you're alone down here and after this life is over, I'll take you and we'll be together forever. We are not alone. Know that he is there. We are alone in this world, but never alone. And I want to tell you that there's great confidence that comes because of the one you're with. It's interesting. Uh, if we go into a difficult situation, um, we get scared. And, and we, you, know, you have your brother or your sister with you. And, and you're real look, little kids, and you go, I'm scared, I'm, I'm afraid. And your brother's with you, and you say, well, I'm with you. He says, you can't do anything either. You're not, you're not any help. You're whining just as much as I am. I want to tell you that there's great confidence knowing the one who's with you. You can look through the whole uh, Old Testament, New Testament. You have these great uh, things of faith that go on. You're going to see about Daniel. And, and Daniel goes, I'm fine. Why? Because he's never alone. And he gains great confidence knowing that his God is with him. We should too. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this amazing testimony, um, history. 
story that we got to walk through, God, and may it give us courage for the weeks ahead. Uh, may we never forget. May we teach it to our children and our grandchildren that they are uh, never alone. And uh, they can stand up to the king of the whole world if they need, need to, because you're enough for them. God, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.